0: Welcome back to the Be There in 5 podcast. (laughs) I felt like I couldn't really, you know, pull off, hey everybody, welcome back to the Be There in 5 podcast while the Hanson brothers brood in the background about how they don't feel like they fit in. But like, hot tip, cut your hair, you know? Zach, Taylor, Isaac might have helped. Anyway, I just got a DM on Instagram that simply said, lol, you're weird, and I don't know how to take it, but all I knew how to do was picture myself staring out a window on a rainy day, thinking to myself, isn't it strange? How we all feel a little bit weird sometimes. Are you guys still there? I know that was such a downer and I'm very sorry, but I wanted to play a little bit more of the song just in case somebody wasn't totally remembering it. I, I think the beginning and some of the bass line chords sound a lot like Savage Garden's Truly Madly Deeply, which I'm sorry if I teased you and you wanted to hear that and that wasn't the song, and I do love Savage Garden, but I, Truly Madly Deeply isn't quite obscure enough for me. Everybody remembers that song. It's kind of like when people... You know, I'm at like a 90s night at a bar or like, I don't know, doing something adjacent to the 1990s and somebody plays Mbop and they're like, oh my God, remember this song? And it's like, yeah, Nadoy, how could you forget Mbop? That's been like, do you remember Lou Bega's Mambo Number 5? Like, yes. Have you ever like been to a CPK or an Applebee's? It's constantly on the soundtrack. I don't know where, what like Sirius XM stations that chain restaurants tend to play, but it's always a rotation of top tens from like the past few decades, but better than top tens to me are kind of the you know, floaters that are secondary tertiary singles off albums and had fame for a very brief time, but then, you know, really went off the map. And Weird is a great example of this because, well, the Hanson album, Middle of Nowhere, their debut album, 1997, is one of the most, it's the cornerstone of my youth. And you'll find me using this type of hyper hyperbole quite a bit, saying that everything's my favorite song, everything was deeply meaningful for me, everything changed my life. But Hanson's Middle of Nowhere was the first album where I, I really did, I dove in deep, cover to cover. All the lyrics, every song, you know. I had the documentary Tulsa, Tokyo, in the middle of nowhere. It's where I learned about most Southeast Asian countries. I learned about the Pacific Islands. I, they went on this world tour, and people absolutely went wild for them in Indonesia, for example. And I was like, Hey, mom, next year, like, let's skip Hilton Head. Can we hit up Jakarta? You know, it was very, it was very educational. If you were into this back in the day, I highly recommend you revisit it because there are some songs on here that are outstanding, and it makes me wonder, like, what happened to their career? They recorded this album when Zach was eleven, and Isaac, who was the oldest, was sixteen, and Taylor was somewhere in the middle, just being gorgeous and perfect and having those Pantene Pro V commercial-worthy locks that I know I said to cut earlier, but I, I truly didn't mean that. That was—I think the hair was a crucial component of their brief success. He, I, I talked about boy bands like Sync and Backstreet Boys and LFO and all them. I and those were very important in their own way. But like, Hanson was a band. And I say what you want, but they were like really talented. And the fact that the range on Middle of Nowhere, if this was important to you as a kid, go back and re-listen to this album. The range is fascinating. You've got Mbop and Where's the Love and a Minute Without You that are like upbeat and fun, then it straight up broods. Like, Weird is so brooding. Freaking Yearbook, if you don't remember the song Yearbook, I'm gonna play an excerpt of it, cause it's so creepy. See you. about this kid named Johnny and they want to know where did he go and I'm like I don't know where did he go was he murdered was he kidnapped is he a child of divorce why doesn't he have a yearbook picture and I still don't know and I looked it up online and nobody seems to know and I'm just like loving that Hanson included on their debut album that sold millions and millions of copies like a song about a murder mystery in the town of Tulsa Oklahoma but is it even a murder mystery I don't know Clearly, if he didn't make it to retakes, I mean, it's one thing to not be there at picture day. We've all been sick on picture day. I've even faked sick on picture day if my, you know, bangs weren't doing its thing. But to then miss retakes and then to not be, I don't know, pronounced dead perhaps, or even registered to transfer schools within your district and to just be in the yearbook faceless? That is truly creepy. And I was on the yearbook staff, and that is that is something tacky we would not have done. We would not have wasted that prime real estate on an empty person. We would have hunted them down to go to retakes. We would have sourced an old photo. Everyone's seen a yearbook where there's one kid whose photo is not like the others. And yeah, it could be the super cool kids that paid the extra $4 for the laser background that my parents would never get. We were definitely blue-gray abstract background people. We We were like a package J kind of family, like Two wallets, that's it, mom, dad, not even an eight by 10. I like, remember kids would get like magnets and stickers and their head would be blown up on a mug. And I was like, damn, your parents must love you. But really, I'd now argue that my parents loved me more because I, I see we have two photos like that were saved over time from my K through 12 years. That's one good photo every six years. God bless them for not plastering, you know, the years with my spander or when I was growing my bangs out or when I was experimenting with the middle part, which just will never frame my face adequately. I think that there's a little overcompensation when you're going package A and B. Isn't it kind of a crime to like require kids to take photos in the school system and then send home proofs and demand money back? That just doesn't seem right. I mean, your looks change so drastically in elementary school. You don't really need, you know, an 18 by 24 foam board and laminated of your face every year, but whatever. I was actually talking to my friends about this the other day who listened to my podcast, bless their hearts, and they brought up school photos as like a funny nostalgic topic, but they were saying that in their school, like the cool kids got rainforest background, but we didn't have that option. Ours was just the blue gray or the lasers. And like you were grouped by background types. So the, the kids whose parents wouldn't let them live a little went first with the blue gray and the laser kids went after. And like the cute boy I liked or the popular kids were always the laser ones. So I always felt a little bit left out. And I also wanted to go toward the end because it would take me so long to get my hair in place. And these photographers would, oh, do you remember they would always touch your hair? They, not only were there those, there those combs, which I was on high alert for lysis in elementary school, as we all should have been, I would never use the combs, but they would like take your hair on and move it behind your shoulder so only one side would be out. Or they, there'd always be like a weird older guy with handlebar glasses and it would lightly graze your chin and tilt it and like keep tilting it and tilting it and would ask for more tilt. And I was like, why am I, until my face was at a full 45 degree angle. Until I was full-on Cindy Brady in the nine block, looking up, you know, northwest at Alice. My hair was out of place and behind my shoulder, and I had just, you know, probably gotten gorgeous face framing layers. I had probably just curled my bangs like Dominique Mochianu. Everything was ruined, and then we'd go to the class photo, and I'd be stuck in the back because, as you know, I had a bit of a complex with my height. And in the school photo, I would always get jammed in the back without fail. And I never got to be a chair kid in the front and no matter how I would dress or how much I would slump, you just never were going to see my super sick white tights with little, you know, candy canes or shamrocks or leaves on them and my fold over socks that had a lace trim and my brand new white kids that shine like the top of the Chrysler building. No one was ever going to see that in the photo because I was stuck in the back. The short kids were sat down on chairs. So it doesn't matter how tall you are. Like, if you're going to stand, I understand that order of operations. But if you're sitting anyway, what are you telling me? I'm an unusually long torso? I actually don't. I'd say my torso reads more like it's five 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 six, And my legs are the problem. I don't know. It was hard being a fashion icon in the 90s. I just really, I really wanted my outfits better represented in school photos. And it frustrated me when people got to sit in the front and they weren't even trying. Cool sambas, Carla. Oh, you, your mom told you it was cool to wear umbros today? Real nice. Glad you're in the front. Glad you're the shining example of what Miss Patterson's fifth grade class was like. There actually wasn't a Carla, nor did I have Miss Patterson. Um, You know, names and and dates have been changed to protect the identities of these people. Oh, wait. Okay. Remember last week how I was saying that there was a time when adults didn't understand computers, but we were starting to use computers? My fifth grade yearbook, this is horrible. There's this kid named Robbie, and we had to put our favorite song. Mine, Torn by Natalie and Bruglia. But 99% sure it says Torn by Natalie and Bruglia. Because, let's be honest, I just heard Casey Kasem saying them. I I didn't actually know the names. But this guy was, he put his favorite song was Rapper's Delight. And, like, there was no spell check. And this kid in our yearbook, his song is listed, his favorite song, as Rapper's Delight. And guys, I'm laughing, but it's so bad. It's so, it's so bad. And I, I... (laughs) I can't can't even believe that made it into publication. I, in fifth grade, I knew that was wrong. They didn't issue a change. He, if I were him, when I was going around hags and Lila's everyone's book, I would have crossed that out and written something else. If I was his mother, I would have gone full on Kris Jenner when she, back in like the second season of Keeping Up with Kardashians, Kim and made a very sexy calendar for Reggie Bush's birthday. And Kris Jenner pretended like she didn't know it wasn't for the public. And she did a mass distribution of them. And within two days time, the calendar was published in every Calabasas newsstand. And she went around and bought out all the copies. That would have been me retracting every piece of paper The hands of somebody that said Raper's Delight was my son's favorite song. Because in the event my son became a creep or a criminal of some kind, it just it's not helpful. It's not helpful. I was thinking about for a segment of this podcast doing um like this week in my internet history, but even that is so personal and out of context, I'm even like, What were you doing? Why were you looking that up? But if I think of something and I'm curious about it, I'm gonna look it up. And then if it's Wikipedia, you go in that Wikipedia loop where you click on something and all of a sudden you're like, knee-deep in some obscure war in the 1700s just thinking about the meaning of life and why do people have to fight? At least that's what I do. So I don't know, even this past weekend, my husband was out of town and I was trying to leave my house and do something and a lot of my friends have recently left Chicago and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to put myself out there a little bit more, but like, it's really awkward to ask people to hang out. It's like you used to have college or, sc- you know, school growing up or activities or something that was like a commonality that spood-fed companionship where you just out of the blue be like, hey, do you want to hang out sometimes just because I'm a person now you're a person. I think you're interesting and cool and I want a friend. I just, it feels like kind of pathetic. And so I was just trying to brainstorm about like, okay, how should I approach this? What's the, what, what should I get involved with to be a little bit more social? Because I, I think that sometimes I, I am probably spending a little bit too much time alone. So I was just doing a you know, light Google search. And I simply said, where is somewhere to make new friends or some question like that? And the first thing that came up was, do you need to talk to somebody? Do you need help? Please call this hotline. And I was like, oh my God, no, I'm, I'm cool. I just wanted to know how to make friends. And it made me sad that that is a search somebody would do who is really in a dark place. And should something happen to me, I just want to put it on the record here that I am fine. I was just seeing, like, oh, should I join a junior league? Perhaps should I go to an open mic night at a coffee shop and try to connect with somebody over liking the same tunes? Like, okay, that was so stupid. What am I? A beatnik? What is a beatnik, and why do I know that word? Isn't it somebody who, like, listens to slam poetry and plays bongos? Is this the second time I've brought up slam poetry on this podcast? I know it's the second time I've brought up bongos. That was another thing, is for senior pictures, you were supposed to, like, bring something that... Represented a hobby of yours, and so a lot of kids pose with their guitar. I don't know if anybody posed with bongos, but I didn't have anything to bring. What was I going to bring? A journal? Senior pictures used to be freaking hilarious. Now kids, now with we're in a Pinterest era where there's great senior photographers, and you can get a gorgeous photo of you in a field of daisies. But when I was in school, the best you could do was to like put your chin on your fist and your elbow on a column that said 2005. And I don't care who you are. Nobody wants a wallet-sized photo. That's a full-body shot. They need to be waist up. That's absolutely absurd. I have some really, really bad proofs from my senior photos that I wish I could find. But it, it's like a who's who of bad posing. It, I thought the time I thought I was like Cher Horowitz, like in that "I'm Gonna Be a Supermodel" montage. But then the poses individually. My chest is pressed up against a tree, and my like lip is borderline curled. And I don't know if that was a note I got or uh, something that I took upon myself. There's one where. If you put your hands behind your head and your elbows out, like you're lounging, but instead of behind my head, my hands are at my neck, but my elbows are still jutted out at the sides, and then it's a full body shot. Well, what does that even mean? What does that do? Again, is that something I wanted for myself in my life, in my future, in my legacy? Am my VH1 behind the music? Will they show that of me in high school and be like, I knew from, from the minute she posed, she was on a lounge chair, but standing vertically, sleeping like a conehead. She was going to be a star. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things to say when I have a terrible idea and my husband sweetly tells me it's a bad idea. I'm always like, on my VH1 behind the music, I'm going to tell everybody that you didn't believe in me. You didn't think I could do it. You're going to be the villain in my E! True Hollywood story. Such a sick burn. (laughs) I'm just kidding. He is nothing if not unwaveringly supportive of the obscure things I do and forbidden to listen to this podcast or my Instagram stories. But... I feel like those behind the music type shows were really dark and you couldn't be profiled unless your meteoric rise and subsequent fall had like the same sharp slope. And then you somehow like bounced back a little and did a lot of heroin in between. It was fascinating television for an eight year old to be watching. (laughs) Um, But I, yeah, it's like, what was I doing watching like Motley Crue's VH1 behind the music? What was I doing watching the E! True Hollywood story of, Karen Carpenter you know I just felt like the bulk of those shows was they would get sat down they're like okay tell us about every single person that told you you were a piece of garbage human that had no talent and was going nowhere in life and basically told you you had no me, no reason to live Tell us about those people. Forget your sweet family and your kind friends and your management and everybody who raised you up. Was there a kid in fifth grade who bullied you and pushed you to the ground and told you you'd never be a rock star? And let's create our entire narrative around you responding to that isolated incident. Because it kind of seemed like, sheesh, there were a lot of people that were in your face being like, you're the worst. When Are people really that generally mean? Even if somebody whose music sucked was pursuing a music career that I personally knew, I would never say that. But if these stories are true, it's like, well, sheesh, at what point do you listen, you know? It's very confusing. I mean, I'm all for the perseverance model. I feel like every good thing I've gotten in my life has come after several unsuccessful tries. And even whenever I hear about entrepreneurs, for example, Sarah Blakely, she went around for five years shopping around the idea of Spanx and nobody cared. But Spanx are questionably the most important invention for me of the past 20 years. They have come in at some absolutely crucial moments in my life and just made me feel like a person I wasn't, that I desperately needed to feel like. And God bless Sarah Blakely. And what if she had quit? What if Hanson had quit after track 12? What if they had just had a you know, normal album, but didn't make you wait till track 21 till you heard the glorious and obscure song that was Man From Milwaukee. You we're almost finished listening to the album. You would think after track 12, it was going to stop. And it was like a really weird song about a man from Milwaukee. And I remember just thinking like, wow, nobody knows about this but me. Top secret. What the hell is he talking about? Were they hallucinating? Did they actually meet this guy from Milwaukee who was debatably a victim of an alien abduction? Do you think the aliens abducted Johnny? Who are these people? And why do you have so many mysteries on this album? I I don't know. Everything about the album truly is weird. It is weird. And it's so fantastic. And beyond middle of nowhere, and this is not even an exaggeration, all time favorite Christmas album, Hanson Snowden. Don't know why. How they arranged the classic Christmas songs is, I don't know, it's better than everything else. Like, I get so friggin' sick of Christmas music, and I know that's not a popular opinion, but I don't need to hear songs about Frosty the Snowman. I don't need to hear uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. Like, I'm a 30-year-old woman. I don't need the cartoony North Poley songs. I want sadness. I want to feel homesick when I'm already home. I want bells. I want children singing. I want to feel like Christmas is a time where I just sit there in sadness reflecting on all the years that have gone by. I like that type of Christmas song. And you haven't lived until you've heard Hanson's arrangement of O Holy Night. It's actually a medley of O Holy Night, O Come All Ye Faithful, and Silent Night is the most beautiful arrangement I've ever heard. And I would play it right now if it weren't the dead of spring. I interrupt this podcast to uh, uh, report back some breaking news. My phone was just going nuts. And I guess Jenna Dewan Tatum and Channing Tatum did, in fact, announce their split. And, you know, God bless you guys for attributing me as the breaker of this news many moons ago. I first familiarized this theory back in November, to the dismay of many. I know it's a favorite couple. I mean, trust me, if there was speculation about a couple that I I really believed in, uh, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, I just, I couldn't. You know, Channing and Jenna, I think we're like the John and Chrissy of yesteryear. I think that when, you know, Step Up came out and Magic Mike was in his heyday and whatnot, but... I've had my eye on Channing for a while. I I was concerned he was a bit of a cheater. There was a lot of blind items that I had been reading over the years that lended themselves to him stepping out quite a bit. Now, here's the thing. So I don't break the news necessarily. I read a lot of blind items. A lot of them don't come true. But there's a few that you'll notice over time the same stuff keeps getting said. I don't think it comes out of absolutely nowhere if people are tipping this guy off all the time on these stories. And then I'll kind of do my own sleuthing. And Jenna Dewan Tatum was putting up too many inspirational quotes. You just don't you you don't put up that many inspirational, uplifting quotes unless you are trying to convince yourself you need to feel that way. It's just it's how social media works. When you're doing fine, when you're busy you're too busy to post stuff. That's kind of the irony of social media is like I started posting a ton was I, and I was at a difficult place in my career because I had nothing else to do. And it was kind of like my way of feeling productive. And like I was doing something and I was connecting with the community. And it turned out to be like a great thing for me. But in the days where I'm actually like doing stuff, I, I don't even think about it. Just always something to be mindful of. I talked about this a few weeks ago. You think somebody that's so in your face is like doing so great, but so often it's the opposite. So there's something to be sensitive to and to think about. And I don't want to gossip about people's marriage. It's very sad for them. But I do, I appreciate that, you know, you guys acknowledge the journalistic integrity that is to be there and I try to be careful what I share because Crazy Days and Nights, for example, that guy is anonymous. His name isn't out there. He's an entertainment, he says he's a 300-pound entertainment lawyer. I'm not really sure if that's true. If he were smart, he would fake everything about his identity But because he just drops so much information that, you know, oftentimes we don't, that doesn't really see the light of day publicly. But for me, it's unless I've researched something a little bit on my own, blind items are hard to talk about because they're they're blind because they're unfounded. And I can say who I speculate they're about all I want. But at the end of the day, like if I were in that position, I would hate for somebody to just be like, oh, I read something that had a female pronoun and vaguely described my appearance. And therefore, I must be doing this horrible thing this person says I'm doing. It's like, I, I don't like totally unfounded speculation. But if I find it founded, <laughs> then I will share it. But if you were curious about some of the other things I have my eye on, One is the firing of Nickelodeon's Dan Schneider, which I'll talk about later in this podcast, because again, I'm interrupting this podcast from the beyond, from the beyond, from afterward. If you want another interesting um, internet conspiracy, you know, if you're into One Direction, I'm a little older than them, but I've still read it because I think it's interesting. Read about Harry and Louis. Read about, is it Louis or Louis? See, that's how bad, I think it's Louis Tomlinson. Louis, Louis. (laughs) Read about Harry and Louis. Read about their friendship. Their, their, their overall relationship. Harry Styles recently came out with a song highly suggesting he is indeed bisexual. That Not my words, a headline I read. Uh, I think it was like on People, weirdly enough. Um, who also dated Taylor Swift. Convenient potential bearding sitch. Uh, he and Louis have an interesting friendship and history, and There's a lot of internet speculation among the uh, diehard 1Ders about Louis' baby being like actually his baby and it being fake. And it's like this whole crazy thing that I have no idea what my opinion is on it, but it's like a good read about all of the uh, disconnects. And apparently she's like a one-night stand or something like he's semi-dated. And there's so many things that didn't add up about her pregnancy and so many photos where she did not look pregnant at all in her second and third trimester, which can happen. But, you know, the, the, the Internet's an interesting place. So I, I that's a fun one to look up. Do a light Google search of Aaron Rodgers theories. Uh, yeah. So there's some interesting footage there. And, you know, there's also like the whole family thing with Jordan Rogers, who's like still close to this family who won JoJo season of The Bachelor, Like, why is Aaron Rodgers randomly estranged? If Olivia Munn was the problem, they've been broken up for a while. Why Why wouldn't they have reconciled? Why is he dating Danica Patrick? Really? Uh, why are they like photographed in Mexico, side by side, a bicycle built for two, in a random town where neither of them are the type of people that are really actively followed, especially not to a small Mexican vac- vacation town? And I stand by my theory that if you are paparazzied on a bike, looking happy and riding next to each other. It is staged because normal people ride bikes one in front of the other, especially in oncoming traffic. They're like in traffic, riding side by side, taking up part of the road and smiling or like riding with one hand. But I think most normal people riding bikes that are actually getting caught are probably like looking a little smug, probably really like kind of regretting that they rode a bike, probably thinking like, God, we should have taken an Uber. Riding a bike and looking happy and riding next to each other in oncoming traffic is such a sign of you calling the paparazzi. It's so staged. It's so uh, Spencer and Heidi at the pumpkin patch. Super big celebrities aren't just helmetless riding a bike, you know, into traffic. They have drivers. They have better things to do. They have security. They, yeah. Aaron Rodgers is not dating Danica Patrick. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, one last one. Uh, The one person that is in these blind items so often that it's concerning is Selena Gomez. And again, these people aren't really named. Sometimes they're revealed, but like, and the I have my eye on her stability, her mental health, her potential addiction issues. I. There's a couple things that tip me off. One is there was a video of her and Justin Bieber that I first saw on Radar online, which is not a reliable source, but I, there's video footage. And apparently, this guy who is like a known gang member in West Hollywood, in kind of a CD or neighborhood, at this mini mart, he has this photo as this video. And Justin Bieber like comes out of the bathroom and the guy's filming and he's like, Justin, so how are you fan? And he's like, oh, I really don't want to do that, man. And he's like, cool and nice and whatever, but you can tell Justin's like, I don't want to be on video at all. Like, I can't believe I'm being caught here. But then to make it even weirder, he like looks kind of paranoid and then he goes outside and then the guy's still filming and Selena Gomez is in the alley and they like book it. They run. Apparently it's like a really typical cross section for drugs in the area. It's a gang ridden area. It's, it's not a place where like two major, major celebrities with a lot of security and people to run their errands for them would be hanging out. So it's like, what were they doing there? And I, I hope that they are I, I hope, hope, hope they have teams and families and people keeping them out of drugs. But like all signs point to there being some addiction issues. And you know, I don't know, it's hard to say. Uh, truly twice a week, there is a different blind about all of the drugs she's taking and different people she's with and what a bad influence people are and how she's spiraling and I don't know if that's true. And like, I think we all know Celine- there is like a darker vibe to Selena Gomez. She's been pretty open about her struggles with mental health. I, I, I don't know. With Justin Bieber couldn't have been the best influence and he put kind of put her through hell and like the heart once went on it once and like the whole monologue at the beginning it made me so sad. And I've, I've just always, I've really worried about her. There's a lot of speculation on the blinds if, if her kidney transplant was so much of a function of lupus as it was her kidneys like shutting down from abuse of other things. And I cannot imagine you would be on the kidney transplant list like that high up. I don't know. Take your friend's kidney, like surpass everybody else. I don't know how like private donation works or whatever, but you know what I mean? It would have to be like life or death or lupus related, right? Isn't there kind of like a hierarchy for the reasoning behind you being able to get an organ transplant? What do I know, guys? Uh, All I know is that she's, you know, distancing herself from her mother, which is always concerning. But anywho, on to lighter topics. What was I talking about earlier? I think I spent the bulk of this episode reviewing Hanson's Middle of Nowhere. And you know, I, I don't know if that's like too deep or too niche. It's hard for me to know uh, if you guys were deep divers into things like this in pop culture. And like I said, I could be like, oh, I remember Umbop, but no. Do you remember Madeline Here We Go Around Again? Do you remember Zach wrote his own song and sang it called Lucy, but he was 11. I'm like 99% sure he's singing to like his stuffed bunny because he's a literal child. And there's no way he was singing to a girl he loved named Lucy. I don't know. I just have to assume that uh, there's a lot of you out there that care deeply about these artists. And you were like me and... You, you know, sat by your stereo waiting to press record when the top 40 would come on, because God forbid you would miss Casey Kasem announcing the top 40 and you wouldn't have your own version on cassette tape to listen to the singles before they came out of singles or couldn't get to the record store. You, you needed to have them all. You, you needed to jam. And I, I don't know. Is that the second time I've brought up Casey Kasem? I I honestly do not even know if he actually did the top 40 or if I only know of him because he was like such a recurring character in Saved by the Bell. He like hosted the dance off, right, at the max release it did the sprain. I mean, that's so, that's extremely unrealistic. Can you imagine Ryan Seacrest heading to a high school in Pasadena to host a low-budge talent show? A, a, a fast food joint? Like, the Max was just a bur- like local hangout burger joint. Like, hey, Ryan Seacrest, head out to Pasadena, hit up the Red Robin, host a dance-off, whose talent is so half-assed they force a recent ankle sprain victim to perform. <laughs> oh, I loved that episode because, like, Zach and Slater both wanted Kelly as a dance partner but somehow ended up being her partner. I don't really know why. And then Zach went with Jesse, and then Lisa had somebody else lined up for the dance but she gets hurt and the guy won't dance and so then screech dances with her and then they make this new crappy dance so she's just like like bebopping on one foot and it becomes known as the sprain as if that's gonna catch on yeah yeah it's it's a real macarena lisa a a real electric slide Uh, move over locomotion people are just going to be hopping on one foot as if they hurt their ankle confusing everyone everywhere if you just got your foot stabbed with a stiletto at a wedding which I'm not proud of how many times my feet just bleed out at weddings. If I am then limping off the dance floor, I don't want people to come up and start aggressively dancing with me, being like, hell yeah, this brain. Truly, ladies, if you're going to dance wildly, do not hold red wine and do not wear a stiletto on the dance floor. Wear a maxi dress so you can tastefully take off your shoes without anybody knowing. And spare my feet of an absolute bloodbath that's going to make it really uncomfortable for me to return the dress because it is probably a rental from Rental Runway because I cannot spend money on one more dress that is over photographed that I will never wear again. Wait, but that would have been a really good prop opportunity for Bodak Yellow. Because you could be like, no, no, really, these is red bottoms. These is bloody shoes. Uh, There's no greater party trick than a laceration on the dance floor. But hopefully that'll be Pitbull's next single. <laughs> Wait, like what if that was an ad for Rent the Runway? Wouldn't that have been so organic? See, this is why I need to find advertisers. And I'm going to drop stuff in and just see if you notice. I'm sure there's rules about that. But actually Rent the Runway would be like my number one target for an advertiser if I pursued them. I don't have a podcast network, so I don't think that's how that works. But I always thought it would be so cool to just reach out to people of things I actually like and actually use. And not in a way like, guys, I'm only going to promote stuff that I just love. And, you know, fingers crossed in like 100 episodes I'll be saying that to you and, you know, actually making money. But like, you know, why can't Tahin Chili Lime Salt sponsor me? Why, you know, why can't uh, Lighthouse Ranch Dressing? Why can't a chocolate milk? Just kidding. Troomhoo is not my favorite. I actually love private label chocolate milk, like a vague brand from the food line, the Winn-Dixie, the Kroger, wherever, wherever, not your finest food market, but like your secondary market that you go and the other one's closed or out of something. Their chocolate milk's probably pretty good. In the mid Atlantic where I grew up, it's called Rich Foods, and you shake it up, it gets real bubbly, real frothy. That's the good stuff. I love that chocolate milk. It's much better than that Nesquik or True Milk. Why can't those private labeled chocolate milk brands sponsor me? <laughs> what was I talking about? The spring. Oh, yeah. No, the um, re say by the bell. I was thinking this how TV friendships, platonic TV guy girl friendships in the 90s were like, So something that would never happen now. Like, Zach used to always climb in Jesse's bedroom window, much like Sam would climb in Clarissa's on Clarissa Explains It All. And, like, did Zach and Jesse ever have a romantic moment they might have? There's always those TV characters that are like, are they, aren't they? And they have their predominant relationship on the show. Then there's like one side character they randomly fling with and the audience doesn't like it. It's very like Joey and Rachel. It's very Robin and Ted or like Lizzie and Gordo. Or perhaps Mary Kate Olsen and Taj Mari from Full House. Just kidding. Um, remember that character Derek? And, uh, her redheaded friend and they sing at the smash club. Don't go breaking my heart. They were cute. I feel like didn't Michelle Tanner date Derek like in second grade, but like not really date him. And then Girl Talk performed. I saw the sign. Gia was such a bad influence on well, Stephanie. She like smoked cigarettes. She was such a badass and they didn't practice enough for the show. And then it was like, I saw the sign. Ah! <laughs> oh, that episode makes me cringe to this day. I guess I started this whole tirade from. Merely just being called weird on Instagram, which I don't really care. I'm no stranger to a backhanded compliment that's kind of about my personality, but isn't necessarily a positive sentiment. I feel like, above anything else, I've been called quirky. And maybe, I don't know, I feel like when I was in middle and high school, the popular word was like, that's so random. You are so random. Oddly enough, that's the name of Corinne Olympios. She's from The Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise. She was the one involved in the whole Demario scandal last summer. Her, the name of her podcast is so random, which I feel like is very indicative of her like relevance to the general world in how relevant so random is to the current world because it's not and I mean maybe she's a nice girl but she chose to go the villain route and is like my dad makes me a ton of money and treats me like a princess And my housekeeper makes me cheese pasta that normal people call mac and cheese but since she's probably never lived on her own with a tiny apartment and a hot plate slang, slaving over some radioactive orange mac and cheese perhaps she didn't know that cheese pasta is not a thing it's either fettuccine alfredo or like mac and cheese anyways She she talks about running a multi million dollar company, but like up and moved to L.A. after the bachelor and has a podcast and like goes around with Jonathan Chebin and has like these really stringy tape and extensions. And I don't know. She just she just generally bothers me. I don't want to, you know, women supporting women, etc. But I don't want to talk bad about her. But she's she's not my fave contestant. I I think there's better things you can do with your life and your time, like sell Ava ovulation bracelets that help you understand when your cycle is. (laughs) Oh, I guess, you know, maybe that's the type of content I need to be providing. So I don't get commentary like that. People are funny. I mean, like, girl, you are so weird. You are so cute. You're, like, in your own little world. You are hysterical. You crack me up. I'm like, well, do I? Because you're not cracking up. You're just saying that. Like, are you physically in hysterics when you say that's hysterical? Because if it's just a little funny, you can say that. You can tell me the truth. if my jokes are bad. You don't have to exaggerate. I don't know. It's like, um, I feel like there's so many of those isms, those backhanded compliments people give each other. And it's even ranging from, like, saying, you know, oh, you were like so funny last night. It's just like a way to tell people they were really drunk and made a fool of themselves. (laughs) Like, you were so funny last night means I probably accosted like a grown man playing oversized Jenga in a bar because he made fun of my husband's sweater. And that did happen once, but to be fair, don't be mad that you lost Jenga as a grown man and make fun of my husband's delightful sweater that's a, a nice knit shawl collar on a wintry day and call him Mr. Rogers when you're wearing an pastel polo. Like, come on, man. There, there's such a thing as justice and I cannot stand idly by while a man wears an pastel polo and makes fun of a beautiful knit shawl collar, leather buttoned cardigan. <laughs> you know, my uh, Greg, would, my husband would say, you know, he'll call those situations, quote unquote, not worth it. He prefers not to engage. He is calm. I am not. <laughs> no, I'm actually like I'm. I'm not ragey at all. I have a really long fuse. But there's a certain type of guy that just really it hits a nerve with me. This there's a very certain type of like fratty douchey, almost like a Shep JD Thomas Ravenel type southern dude who wears like short shorts probably made by chubbies who wears like really worn out Sperry's who probably has like stains on his shirt from drinking all day and like wears croquis like sunglasses on a rope on a string around his neck and like I don't know just like only talks to people he thinks are super hot and like has like a weird twang only when he drinks and like dips on occasion and it's so foul that type of person just outrages me and I am judging a book by its cover but to be fair I do come from personal experience and these guys just are not my fave. And this type of super drunk, sloppy, stain on his shirt guy making fun of an icon like Mr. Rogers, first of all, and be projecting that icon, which is essentially a compliment onto my husband's sweater. I was just like, you're not going to walk out of this bar feeling so self-satisfied that you lost a game of oversized Jenga and try to insult somebody by calling them Mr. Rogers when well, Mr. Rogers is an icon and he would be so lucky to have my husband wearing a sweater in his likeness. You were not going to walk out of this bar thinking that you told us off and that you made us feel bad and lesser than because we beat you at a game of skill, of precision, of patience that you sucked at. Like, I hate a sore loser. I hate a bad insult. I hate a fratty douchebag. And you know, I was not going to walk out of that bar letting that guy feel self-satisfied. What was I talking about? Oh yeah, back. <laughs> you were so funny last night. <laughs> I feel like the other one that drives me nuts is, oh, you look nice because that's one of two things. Either. The other person did not feel like they were given the proper heads up about the dress code and they're underdressed. They're probably wearing active wear and you probably are wearing like normal street clothes or business casual and look just like a little bit nicer than them. And they feel bad about how they look and think that their expectations should have been managed about the dress code better. So then they take it out on you by like kind of being like, Oh, well, you look nice, like nice to be able to tell me like, geez, I'm an active wear. Like I just was at SoulCycle all day and I'm like glowing from, you know, breaking even on my cows and I work out and I'm a goddess and I still look amazing. Despite having just worked out, I probably look better than you, even though you showered into like a full on glam session. But still like, ugh, I'm wearing yoga pants and I'm so skinny and I look so good in them. But like I look like garbage because you decided to wear a skinny trouser and a blazer. And I'm like, shut up. That does not happen with anybody I directly know or regularly interact with. But I feel like throughout life, that is something that does happen. Whether like somebody is just like dressed a lot more casually than you and like will not let go. That you look nicer than them. And it's like, who cares? This is just what I was wearing. (laughs) Relax. Secondly, the you look nice comment also means that you generally don't look nice. And they're surprised like, oh, you look nice. That's that's what I I would say to Carla in the fifth grade photo if she wore something different than Umbrose Sambas and a Peace Frogs t-shirt. And trust me, I would never, ever make fun of somebody's clothes if it was like a socioeconomic thing. But like, she was on the soccer team, and she played on club soccer. And these teams were these like private soccer teams outside of the YMCA that cost a fortune. She just loved soccer, which is totally fine. And wear that every day of the year. But on picture day, when you're in the front row, I just thought it was a responsibility that I would have, frankly, just taken a lot more seriously than she ever did. (laughs) But anyway, why, why am I talking about this? Like, clearly... Yeah. Okay. You know what? I am so weird. It is whatever. It is what it is a Spade a Spade. No, I don't know why I remember this crap and think about it, but yeah, I'm weird. And you know what? So weird was the show on Disney. What was that show about? I I need, I need to wrap up so far on this podcast, but this feels like it's worth unpacking. There's an occasional tangent. I just want to go down and I might delete this, but yeah. So weird was about alien abductions I would have Molly Phillips and it was like the daughter of the guy from The Mamas and the Papas. Is that right? And she had like a childhood way scarier than alien abductions and I maybe could never look past that. But I wasn't actually in that into supernatural shows. I would say The Secret World of Alex Mack was about as supernatural as I got. That show was pre- that was pretty good. It was like Well, it was on SNCC and it replaced Clarissa Explains It All. And I, for one, was more of a Clarissa fan. And I think they thought Larissa Olenek, I don't know if she was in the Babysitter's Club movies at the same time or after, but she was pretty big then. And I think they thought swapping out one blonde chick who wore flannels around her waist and overalls and backward caps for another girl in overalls, wearing flannels around her waist with a backwards cap. But this time the girl could like morph into a Capri Sun style metallic silver puddle and like she would just kind of slip through door cracks. And wouldn't she melt when she was embarrassed? I, I, I don't remember her really embracing her role as a heroine. I felt like she kind of just wanted to be a normal kid, and it was more like her crush would see her training bra strap, and then she'd melt into the Capri Sun puddle and, like, slip out the heating vent of her school. It failed to really harness my attention in a more meaningful way. But now that I'm thinking about it, it's kind of similar to Stranger Things in that, I guess, Alex Mack got doused in the chemical on her way to school, and she wasn't kidnapped and made a lab rat like Eleven was. But, I mean, they both were being chased because they had telekinetic skills based on some chemical experiment gone wrong. And I remember after watching Alex Mack, you know, every time I found myself driving by the familiar smells of a paper plan, I thought, Hey, eh, you know what, if there's a little overflow, those silos spill out some goo, wouldn't be the worst thing. At least I could get out of doing my homework, which is, you know, not great messaging. Okay, I should probably stop there. <laughs> I could get way too deep into Nickelodeon shows and actually I'm kind of boycotting them right now because I'm waiting to see how this whole recently ousted Nickelodeon executive thing plays out. I'm not going to drag the name of a man that has not been convicted of anything yet, but there's so many blind items and things swirling around about this guy. And he has a weird history with the network, with the child stars, though the facts are few and far between. He has done weird things like posted photos of his young starlet's toes. He's these really weirdly long production hours and these huge, huge budgets and Level of access and power over uh, children, uh, young women, and a number of starlets that starlets I keep saying that. that's such a creepy word. A number of young child stars that were at one point under his uh, management that have since like gone off the rails, like I.E. Amanda Bynes, I.E. An example of shady stuff going on at Nickelodeon is Jamie Lynn Spears randomly getting knocked up when she was you know what was she like fourteen or fifteen? Like who is the father? Why was that such a cover-up? Why, for over a decade now, stuff like that that goes down in those circles is crazy, and it's scary, and it's sick, and I think there's a lot of really dark stuff that goes down in these worlds, and I think there's about to be a massive, massive expose regarding Nickelodeon. I don't know the details, and uh, well, I'll report back if and when we ever hear something. I just think these things run so deep. I mean, look at the Weinstein cover-up. Like, wow, that was going on for decades. And so much money, so many agencies involved with the aiding and the cover-up of what was dealing with adults. You think about minors being brought into this? I mean, truly, it's sick. It's sick to live in such a world. It's sick that we are in a world where we have to deal with Larry Nassers of the world, that Michigan State doctor, the, the USA Olympics doctor. Like, can you imagine the parents that are like, oh, my God, I try—like, this man was supposed to be help my kid, and I let them be alone in the same room. Like, can we trust nobody? What are we supposed to do? All of this stuff like stresses me out. It's like important to expose these men and that justice is served and that the victims come forward and they can, and they can live their life without being under the chokehold of an NDA or something crazy like that. But also, I, I don't know if I can deal. I don't know if I can deal. The Keepers messed me up for life. Everyone told me, watch The Keepers. It's so fascinating. Why'd you tell me to watch that? That was awful. That was so scary and sick and was a world that I did. I just, I guess I wanted to be naive to, but I kind of knew it was out there and, you know, whatever. It's, it, I guess it's good for us to know these things, but it's hard, guys. Like, where did Johnny go? I don't know. There's a lot of mysteries out there. I can't understand, and this is why I can't sleep at night. I'm podcasting at 1.13 in the morning because my husband's out of town, and the second he leaves town, I'm pulling all-nighters because that's what I used to do when I was single, and that's how I live my best life. That's why I'm getting so worked up. I think I'm a little sleepy. I haven't even been drinking wine, which I keep meaning to drink wine in podcasts because I think I'd be more fun, but I keep doing it during the day or at obscure hours, and clearly I don't have an issue rambling anyway. And uh, I hope you're still enjoying the podcast. As always, subscribe, rate, leave me a review, email me. It's kate, K-A-T-E, at betherein5.com, F-I-V-E. My Patreon is patreon.com slash 5 It's linked in the show notes. One dollar a month will get you exclusive content like last week, me weeping on my Patreon episode about some fun career news I have that I, like I said, I'll, I'll tell you guys later. And no, that's not a gimmick to get you to sign up. It's honestly just like some stuff I want to keep the circle tighter. Yeah, no, I, I don't want the, the the girl that says, LOL, you're so weird all up on this podcast getting, you know, premium news when I'd rather interact with and reward directly anybody who's like reached out and been nice and supported this and told me to do this because without that feedback, like I wouldn't have started a podcast. There's no way for me to just empirically think like, I am fascinating. What I have to say is important. But if there is some for some reason this resonates with you and you tell me and you've been so kind to support a stranger on the internet, like, my God, the least I can do is tell you things first and personally and not edit them out and that's just a small thing I can hopefully do to reciprocate yeah so uh I hope you'll continue to come back but I can't promise that you know when you have no light to guide you and no one to walk beside you I will I will come to you when the night is dark and stormy you you don't have to reach out to me I will come to you (laughs) I mean I am really banking on you guys being a middle of nowhere fans otherwise that just really would not have landed tugboat relax (laughs) this this is a hansen song and it's a little bit creepy it's like oh no don't reach out to me you you don't have to come find me i'll find you that's kind of how i feel about this podcast whether you like it or not i'm gonna be here talking to you off 50 minutes a week but anyway i hope everybody has an awesome week again didn't talk about enough modern topics on this here cast but you know maybe we'll get them next time maybe next time i won't be so hung up on the life touch Uh, elementary school picture employees, uh, for example. Maybe next time we'll we'll, uh, deep dive into Jossens, the class ring people. Let's talk about those gemstones. That shiz is not real. That is a rip off. If I could encourage anybody anywhere to not spend one thing on their kid, it is a class ring. I lost mine years ago. They are useless. I'm sure many people will disagree with me, but they're just not even attractive. There's no capacity in which in my 30s, when I'm wearing like a cute getup, do I feel like a class ring would look appropriate on my hand? It's like, Oh, cool. Does that ring say 2005? Oh, is that a volleyball? Are your, are those your initials engraved next to Mills E. Godwin High? Like, damn, girl, where'd you get that? That is fresh. No, nobody cares. They're just like weird tarnished metals with strange gemstones. Mine's like, quote unquote, a ruby. It is no more a ruby than the crystal plastic cubic zirconia in Pretty Pretty Princess. It's, yeah, that, that is a ripoff. I won't get into those next time. You know, when you're like on a work call and it's so awkward and you're desperately trying to get off the phone, but the person won't let you off the phone, they're like, okay, great. Well, yeah, I'll loop back with you later. Yeah, I'll shoot you that deck. Yeah, yeah, uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll follow up. Uh, we'll, we'll loop back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'll, I'll look forward to it. Yeah, well, it was great to talk to you, buddy. Yeah, it was great to talk to you too. I uh, yeah, hope the weather's better. Yeah, yeah. hope the weather's better there. Okay, yeah. Well, uh, hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Uh, look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, thanks. Uh, b- bye. Oh, yeah, yeah. See you later. And it's like, oh my God, just get off the phone. It's so hard to get off the phone, specifically in a corporate setting, but because I think that both parties feel awkward and they both want to get off the phone quickly, but not appear that way. That is me keeping you hanging on to this podcast because I just I, I don't want to leave, but I am going to officially now. I swear I'll shoot you that deck. <laughs> As always, let me know your thoughts, and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. When you have no life to go.